Hello and welcome to the final Irish Football Fans Podcast of 2022. Uh, it's been an eventful year for Irish football, as it always is, and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick and Phil Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football, so we can cast our critical eye over the last 12 months of international football and render our verdicts on how it all went. It's good to talk to you again, guys. Hope you enjoyed the World Cup, and it was a it was a hell of a final. Still getting over it. Probably the best international final for a long, long time. It's the best I've seen. It was brilliant. Absolutely, totally agree with you, Phil. Yeah, and I think that Angle de Maria goal is going to live long in the memory. Probably one of the best goals in World Cup history as well. Merry Christmas to everyone as well, by the way. <laughs> the only one that I've seen that comes that comes close to it was uh, Brazil and Germany in uh, 2002, and we had to wait 20 years for a final to surpass it. Let's get on with the real business, a year in Irish international football. So if you cast your minds back 12 months, Stephen Kenny's team were coming off the back of a creditable draw at home to Portugal, a 3-0 win to avenge uh, a loss against Luxembourg, and we're really looking forward to the UEFA Nations League facing Armenia, Ukraine and Scotland. In March, we had a double-header friendly. The first game of the year was against the team ranked number one in the world. That's uh, Roberto Martinez's Belgium, followed three days later by uh, a game against Lithuania. This was meant to be a warm-up for the Nations League campaign that was kicking off in June with the Belgium game part of the the 100-year celebrations of the existence of the FAI. Mark, those two games, I think, might have raised expectations for the Nations League campaign. I thought we played well against a Belgian team. We knew ahead of it that they weren't going to be bringing their first team. De Bruyne was left out, Lukaku was left out. But they still came and played some good football. They led uh, Ireland twice, and we pegged them back both times. Chetosi Egbeni scoring and assisting the two goals scored by Stephen Kenny's team. And I think no one was really disappointed with the results. Then following three days later, a pretty dour game against a hard-working Lithuania team, uh, which was won in the 97th minute by a tri-parish goal. But I think the attitude towards this game was that, you know, it was a good warm-up for facing Armenia in June. And overall, after the double header, I don't think too many fans were dissatisfied with the performances and the results. Um, what did you think? Yeah, certainly not, uh, Joe. I think it continued the good optimism, the good vibes that were probably in with Stephen Kenny and the side. And do remember that lead up to the Belgium game, certain Anthony Barry had departed stage left to become an assistant manager, assistant coach to Mar- Roberto Martinez. So that added a little bit of spice uh, to that friendly match. But I suppose going to the games, they were very competitive games. I always fear teams that, you know, particularly guys that need to prove a point. And certainly that Belgium team on that day, quite a few of them proved the point. And again, from a public firing perspective, it was good workout. We showed at times that we were very defensively well organised. You could argue in terms of two goals that were leaked. But again, there was a bit of resilience there, particularly with Obene and also Alan Brown, very late, getting the equaliser. So, I mean, it was mission accomplished. There was no, you know, we didn't lose which was key, uh, in front of 48,000. And, I mean, the Lithuanian game, maybe kind of we should have seen maybe what was to come. But, I mean, Lithuania were very defensively compact. I actually felt sorry for Lithuanians. The manner in their loss, you know, I think they were looking pretty good for a draw right up until the final moments. And Troy Parrott, that was a great strike from him. But, again, it was in our ability in the final third to really break down a resolute Lithuanian side. But, again, we kind of got into the Nations League. And, I mean, Stephen Kenny really was kind of declaring that Nations League was going to be one where the team were seriously going to charge. So, I mean, the lead-up to it, there was absolutely no excuses here, Joe and Phil. I mean, form line was pretty decent. You could talk about forms all you want, but at least it was probably a form guide going into the Nations League. I think it was the perfect start of the year, really, wasn't it? Because we had finished so well in 2021. We had three or four clean sheets. I think the Belgian game was our seventh unbeaten at that stage, like, yeah, it was a good start. Scored a couple of goals. When you look back at the two games, I know the Lithuania game was dour, but it's still hard to pinpoint where it started to kind of just fall off a cliff a bit, as Mark said. Like, the way momentum didn't carry through after that 
Belgium game, it was nearly like the setback of not convincingly beating Lithuania kind of hurt the team mentally, which is a, it's a really hard one to explain because then obviously there was a break and then we saw what happened in June. But like as starts go to a year, it's what everyone wanted because we had had so many false dawns where we hadn't continued on and got decent results. Belgium were coming as the number one team of the world. They were being talked up as contenders to the World Cup. It was their last chance. Overall, I think on the day, I think everyone was fairly happy. And even after the Lithuania game, we'd still got the result. So it's really kind of what happened between then and June is the puzzler for me. Going into that Nations League opener against Armenia in June, we'd only lost one game in the previous 12 months. That was to uh, a late brace by Ronaldo uh, in Portugal. We'd been scoring consistently. The only team to stop us from scoring in that run was the was Portugal in the returning game in Aviva Stadium. I think the majority of fans felt the Armenia game would be one of the easier games of the Nations League campaign. They'd been promoted from League C and we were expected to get a win. But for whatever reason, whatever happened in that game, the team just never got going. Didn't really threaten Armenia. And when you look at the squad on paper, it should have been capable of beating them. But even when they scored, it wasn't too surprising. It was another long-range strike, which you know is something we've noted about the setup under Stephen Kenny. We seem to be susceptible to long-distance shots. I don't think anyone could explain it. People wanted to put it down to a bad day at the office, but then it was followed up quickly after by a one-nil loss to Ukraine who are coming off the back of the disappointment of failing to qualify for the World Cup. It was a home game, you know, a home crowd. We thought this would carry us to this success, that we'd get the loss in Armenia off our back. But again, it was just a staid, disappointing performance where we never got out of first gear. And we came away from the stadium after it, wondering, you know, what Scotland were going to do to us in three days' time. Phil, the opening two games of the Nations League put us on the back foot straight away. You know, Stephen Kenny had been saying that, you know, we were going to be pushing to to win the group and now we were fighting relegation. Yeah, that was it. It was done. It was I, I remember the discussion around after the Ukraine game at home. That was essentially the Nations League campaign over and over within the space of four days. It was absolutely crazy, considering the the bluster that was coming out of Stephen Kenny. Rightly so. That's what we want. We don't want our manager saying that we're not going to win it. But, like, we were always kind of wondering how how seriously we should be taking him. But, yeah, it was just... It was too cruel. The manner of the results as well was cruel. The Armenia game was was, was very, very poor. Like, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying to think back to the Armenia game now. And it, it doesn't linger well in the memory at all. Just to have the campaign taken away from you so quickly... I think there was big questions being asked to Stephen Kenny at that stage. As usual, it just followed the same formula. Go on a, a run of games, look like you've turned a corner, and then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, a couple of terrible results that no one can explain, just the heads totally dropped from the team. And it's, it's still a problem, and it's been a problem since day one. It is fiercely disappointing. Now, you can point everything to end of domestic seasons, all that. But again, the guys had been in training camp for a good week, week and a half beforehand. So again, preparation did seem to be fine. Media briefings seemed to be everything was going in the right direction. I just think with the Armenian game, particularly the conditions, like 32, 33 degree heat, did we not manage this game at all well? I mean, first half we did have an abundance of ball, about 65, 66%. But again, passing in front of Armenia, zero shots and target. Actually, Armenia looked the more threatening of the two sides, to be brutally honest. I remember that game well because we had a star party and, I mean, the locals down in Kilkenny were pretty uh, irate. And it was no surprise, guys, when Armenia scored. I mean, they grew into the game. They were very defensively compact. And then Spiritson with his 74th-minute goal, again, another long-range effort. You know, we're just cursed in terms of those long-range efforts. But then going to the Ukraine, Ukraine... Let's remember, put in an awful lot of guys that weren't playing against Wales per se in that World Cup playoff. So 
we thought there might be an opportunity, but I think all credit to Ukraine, they seem to be the more brighter, the more sharper team. And that was a little bit of a surprise for me, just given Ukraine their inactivity in terms of international football. But they were fully deserving of the victory. I mean, even before the goal went in, just after half time, Ireland were really, they were looking a bit vulnerable, particularly in that midfield area. And the common theme here, I think, was that managers and teams kind of had sussed us out after about 20, 30 minutes and then exposed kind of failings in our performance. And again, is that leadership as well within the camp. Once we went down, it just didn't look as if we had an answer to get back into the game. So I suppose that particular aspect was probably the most disappointing out of the lot of them. And I'd say that Ukrainian game, particularly at home, an awful lot of disillusioned faces coming out of the Viva. Yeah, and I was amongst them. And what everyone was thinking was, how are we going to face a Scotland team who had, you know, who's, okay, they had lost to Ukraine, but they had managed to, to score against them. And they had just beaten uh, Armenia comfortably, 2-0 at home, the same Armenia that uh, we had struggles to land the glove on. But they came to Dublin and were beaten 3-0. And, and not just beaten, but they were bullied off the park in a performance that I don't think any of us have seen from any Ireland team in a long time. We had Paranova Femi up front for the first time uh, in the Nations League, playing like they'd, they'd played together for their entire career. Josh Cullen and Jason Lumby pulling the strings in midfield. Jason Knight bursting from midfield. And the the three, three centre defenders, Egan, Duffy and Collins, playing in a back three. Revolutionary perhaps idea that you play your your best players in their best position after the game discussing it we all looked at each other and neither of us could answer the same question where did that performance come from and without wanting to cast a a downer on it you know it was probably my highlight of the year to be honest why haven't we been able to do it beforehand it was definitely my highlight of the year we were all there we're on the viva in person we all got to see the the three gate goals. I think you touched on something there. You, you know, we were all kind of scratching our head, wondering where this performance came from. Nothing new there, except this time we absolutely dominated a team that we expected to maybe not struggle to beat, but maybe not beat or find very challenging to beat. You know, there was no one expecting us to roll over Scotland as easy as we did or even roll them over. But like from minute one, the, the Irish team were just, they were at it. Like they were first to everything. They, I haven't seen the Irish team bully a team like that I don't want to say ever because I'm sure they have obviously we've dominated games where you know we've played Qatar we've bet them 4-0 or we've bet someone 3-0 and it's, but it can be quite passive in between phases of where we score but this because Scotland it was like a derby was just non-stop and because it was the, the tempo was so high and it was non-stop it was like we were bullying Scotland it has to go down as one of the best performances in the last 10 years even. And the goal scored was, a couple of the goals were amazing. Obafemi's goal in the second half was just incredible. It was nearly like we had just figured out all the pieces of the jigsaw go into these slots and, and that's it. Like we were wondering how we didn't figure this out before. But obviously as we saw, it wasn't as straightforward as that. I think that's been my highlight of the year from the men's senior soccer team. This particular game, it's great to see you guys in person uh, on the game as well. And let's Think about the lead-up to this game, given the results to Armenia and to Ukraine. There did seem to be a few media vultures overhead looking for Stephen Kenny and his downfall. So, I mean, maybe it galvanised the squad. It certainly galvanised supporters in Viva, particularly before the game, guys. I got a sense that maybe something special was about to brew because the atmosphere inside the Aviva, maybe it was because of Scotland, maybe because of the local derby, but the stadium really caught light early. And now Scotland had their fair share of opportunities in that first 15 minutes to maybe go 1-0 up. But once we went 1-0 up ourselves, courtesy of Alan Brown, I mean, I remember Shane Duffy as well, good header. The the movement and interchange between Troy Parrott and Michael Obafemi on the day, I thought it was just outstanding. And that was probably another highlight for me during the year is that this potential attacking partnership that we have here of these two when they're fully fit. I mean, God, sky's the limit. I mean, Parrot's goal, phenomenal from Opafemi's pass and then Opafemi then just literally absolutely world-class strike. It was Craig Gordon, no chance. And the scoreline, as you say, Joe, didn't flatter us. We had chances to increase that lead. 
and speaking to Scottish fans afterwards, guys, they were pretty much shell shocked in terms of what they'd seen because they didn't ex- they didn't expect the Republic of Ireland to produce that sort of performance. Fair to say, there was probably more than one Ireland fan who didn't expect us to produce that performance either. Obafemi's goal, we were particularly well seated for it, and I remember even thinking when he turned it, he looked like he was going to shoot. It's like don't shoot from that far out. But he did, and it was a phenomenal strike. And it looks like he only scores from 30-plus yards when you consider his follow-up strike against Armenia later in the year. So we went from bullying Scotland off the park to a return game against the Ukraine and expecting to take some measure of revenge for the, the one that loss in Aviva Stadium. And we opened the game with one of the great Ireland goals of the last, you know, maybe 20 years uh, when Nathan Collins just seemed to dance through the Ukraine midfield and defence before scoring with a, a cheeky finish. When you think back to the start of Stephen Kenny's reign, you were wondering, are we going to score? And suddenly it was becoming, how many are we going to score? Ukraine did come back with uh, a goal in the second half. And I think a one-on draw in that game probably was a fair result uh, on the balance of play. So we had those four games in June, two losses, a win and a draw. It put paid to our chances of winning the group, but the performances in the second two games and the goals that we scored did make us think, going into the second round of games in September against against Scotland and Armenia, that we should be in fine fettle to finish you know, second or third in the group. Certainly we weren't going to be in any danger of, of relegation. It's another kind of progressive result, I would say, Joe, given the context of the Scotland result. We more than matched Ukraine in the opening half. You could argue could have had a penalty that opening period. Collins' goal, absolutely phenomenal. You could see the confidence had returned to the side, passing, the movement, a bit more decisiveness in terms of our channel play, getting that ball down early and really connecting with our front two. So I think from that perspective, all good. Again, the disappointment probably getting caught so early in the second half and um, draw probably a fair result. Those encouraging signs here, uh, Joe, heading into the summer break, leading into that Scotland International in Hampton. Looking back, it was what we'd left behind in the first two games because, you know, four points from those two games would have been probably what would have been a good expectation and and would have been... You know, the target, I would say, you know, it's always don't lose the way to the, the team ranked above you and try and beat the team ranked similar to you at home. And that's what we did for the first time in a long time. But then because of the two previous results, it really didn't mean anything. So the main thing, I suppose, was just to keep going. Obviously, Collins got a great goal, like Benny could have won it at the end. Um, it wasn't the worst performance in the world either. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a bad performance off the back of the 3-0. Um but there was always something kind of, even with that result against Scotland, there's always something in the back of your mind that you're just not, nothing was ever fully convincing. Even with that result against Ukraine, you were, there were still a lot of questions to be asked. There was one outstanding performance, one, I'd say, acceptable performance, and two bad performances out of the four games. I think some of the questions that we've always had about Stephen Kenny had lingered, and I think the results from the first two games cast a bit of a long shadow. Where was the the in-game management? You know, we weren't seeing substitutes being introduced to rescue a result. The substitutions that were being made were too little, too late. The formation and personnel was changing game to game. If it isn't working, then you should change it. But then, as Mark said, the team had been in camp already, so how did you, did you not recognise the working formation, the working selection of personnel earlier? Why did you put out the failing selection, the failing um, formation? I mentioned Parrot and Obafemi were on the pitch together for the first time in that Scotland game. Uh, was it really that difficult to select them against Armenia or against Ukraine? I know Obafemi, he has a history of injury issues and he was unavailable for the second game against Ukraine but he was available for Armenia and the first game against Ukraine so why not bring in Troy Parrish um, to play beside him 
Pirates goal against Lithuania early in the year, the winner. It was a goal against uh, a dour, defensively minded team that came to play for a draw. And the feeling was that that game especially was the warm up to face Armenia. And we didn't see the same performance or we didn't see the same maybe tactics against Armenia that we saw against Lithuania. So maybe what was the point in the friendly against Lithuania? Was it another wasted opportunity? Well, sorry, Joe, and I'd like to get your opinions on it. At what stage of the year did Chidoze Albeni start to fall out of favour with Stephen Kenny and why? Like you're just going on about Obafemi in there, but like really, towards the end, halfway through the year, he really didn't didn't feature. It was a very strange situation, you know, because he was playing well for his club as well. It's just something like, like a thread I've noticed throughout the year as we're looking back through the results. I think it was mainly due to the emergence of Obafemi, probably in that Scotland game. I don't know if he felt that they're too similar that they could they can't play together, or maybe he's too similar to. Try Paris and Parrot and Obafemi worked well together. That is a good point. Obafemi didn't do anything to deserve being dropped. He was involved in both goals against Belgium at the beginning of the year. He made a step up from League One to Championship with Rotherham. Doesn't seem to have, have slowed him down at all. He's playing and scoring regularly for a team in the lower half of the division and possibly could be looking at a move uh, for, to a club further up the table in January. But he's maybe not as high up in the manager's thoughts as he had been at the start of the year. Definitely the Scotland 2-1 win, for me, showed the difference in two management teams in terms of in-game management Mm -hmm. and a realisation from Scotland when an approach did not work to go for a a conceivable plan B. Remember in that opening period, Scotland went very direct, you know, went up top, but again, played into our hands a little bit. We won all the second balls in midfield. Played the ball around nicely, and Scotland were chasing shadows for that opening period, culminating in that John Egan goal after 18 minutes, a very well-worked move from a set-piece. And, I mean, Scotland never got a sniff of it at halftime, but all credit to Steve Clark to have the bottle to say, look, we have to change things up, we have to pass it through our lines, and within five minutes of the second half, uh, Hendry following in from a pass, to I believe was it Christie with the cross again it was a good cross but Henry coming in to score free header again another massive defensive lapse in the public Farland's side and then we're completely on the back foot and again it was topsy-turvy you know your typical derby game but again you could feel the momentum had shifted and at no stage in that second half did Republic of Ireland really make any significant tactical changes and it all culminated in Ryan Christie's penalty I mean you can talk all day long in terms of the handball, but it was given, and again, there was no way back. And again, for me, it just painted the picture in terms of our management side, our management setup, not being pragmatic to change things when needed to. I don't know, Phil, if you agreed with that assessment. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and I think you're right to highlight this result especially and the performance, but I think... A lot of the games before this that were kind of not shock results, but we were kind of wondering where the results had come from. So say Armenia and a couple other results, we'd often look at the players on the pitch and we'd be like, we'd wonder why do they look so sluggish or why do, why haven't they got up for the game? I think as you said, this was the game where the spotlight was firmly put on the on the the, the bench, the coaching ticket, because this was the game I think it dawned on a lot of people that we as a team and still are we're very easy to figure out. And if we're figured out, we're done. Because plan B is really non-existent and it doesn't come quick enough when it is. And I think this is the game that highlighted that. Very much a case of a couple of moves was enough to take out our our whole system and team and we had nothing. We had no answer for it. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Phil. I think it's just changing tack a little bit, going three cross midfield, you know, keep it tight for the first five, ten minutes, second half, didn't do that, we just continued in the same vein, balls in behind, there was none of that, nothing to really upset Scotland, I think Scotland, as you rightly pointed out here, Phil, had spotted us, sussed us out, and had made adjustments, even like Kieran Tierney 
was getting exposed a little bit. I know he went off due to the concussion, but Greg Taylor comes in a little bit more attacking-minded, a little bit more solid defensively. And I think from that perspective here, Phil, you know, all credit to Steve Clark, this game was won on the sideline, not on the pitch, in my opinion. And look, big support Stephen Kenny, but this was a poor night for himself and the backroom staff, particularly on this result. I'm trying to just think back exactly, but this... This was the game where in the last 20 minutes it was calling out for long balls into the channel, relieve the pressure, space in behind, and we did none of it. We just kept doing exactly what we were doing in the first half, playing it short from the back, not even working it up to the midfield, and the ball was coming back to us again. And there was that reluctance to switch. We were looking at it and we were wondering, is Stephen Kenny so tied to this philosophy of he has to do it a certain way, but surely there's wiggle room to actually play a, sec- a different way. Every team does it. You know, you're allowed hit long balls to relieve pressure or to make use of or to exploit the opposition defence if you've someone fast in attack, like, say, Ogbené, and we didn't do it. I remember, like, we did not do it, and we looked poor for it. You know, we looked quite clueless. Yeah, you have to play to your strengths, Phil, at the end of the day. And likes of Ogbené, likes of Obafemi, they do like that ball into feet quick or even down the channels where they can use their pace to really test out central defenders. And I mean, at no point in that second half, we were very much resolute. I thought Callum McGregor as well. The adjustments he made at halftime were pretty key as well. He was lapping up second balls and really putting us under the cosh. So, you know, you have to appreciate what your strengths are. There was no flexibility tactics-wise. You know, it was one way or or that was or there was no other way. Just looking at the teams... Do you think it's a game where experience at the top level, and by top level now, I mean like Champions League level or European level, had uh, an effect on the game? You know, if you're looking down through it, you've got, say, likes of McGregor with Celtic, Tierney with uh, with Arsenal playing at the European level, whereas down through our team, you've got Darty in the Champions League, and, and that's it. And he hasn't been a regular for Spurs this season. So... I don't know, was this really that much of a surprise? I would come back to Mark's original point about how basically playing to your strengths. Scotland played to their strengths. They started dykes this game. They bullied us for long periods. They played to their strengths, and we didn't. And like we were talking about it off air earlier, about international football and strikers, and there's not that many and all that. But at the end of the day, you have to play to your strengths. Like We, we play three at the back. Because we have good defenders and we have good wing-backs. That's the reason. We call for it for ages. We've got these defenders, so this is the system we should play. Well, surely if that's the case with the defence, then that should also translate into our forward line and our midfield. So if you have players like Obafemi and Ogbené, who are pacey, bullish, like to play off the shoulder of the last man, take a man on and run the channels with him, Play to those strengths. Doesn't make sense not to. And I think this is where we started to show the, the experience of Stephen Kenny is lacking a bit. And maybe with all the fanfare of him coming in and this philosophy, and he's he you know he's tied to supposedly a certain style of playing football, and maybe he's shackled by it now because the flexibility isn't there. And I think that that just as much as maybe not having as many players playing in the Champions League or the Europa League. But then you can look back at the World Cup and you can look at... There's certain teams in the World Cup. There's a lot of players playing a lower standard of football, say, for the likes of Australia or there's a few other teams. They they all got on fine because they played to their strengths. You know, we didn't see at the World Cup a lot of teams trying to do something that didn't look like they could do. But we didn't see any, you know... Even Qatar, to an extent, we didn't see any smaller team trying to do something that they clearly couldn't do. And we were like, God, why are they doing that? They need to change it up, hit the ball long. Every team kind of at the World Cup played to, to they were molded in the, the best way they could around the players they had available. And I think we've been slow to do that. And I think it's something to do with, with the manager and his philosophy. You mentioned the defence there. We had Collins, Egan and O'Shea starting in, in defence against Scotland in Hampden Park that night. There are three central defenders playing in central defence, but it was actually the first time in the Nations League that those three had started together. Against Armenia, it was Collins, Duffy and Egan. The home game against Ukraine, it was Egan, Duffy and Collins. Uh, Against Scotland, it was Egan, Duffy and Collins again. 
And then for away against Ukraine, it was Lena and Collins and, and O'Shea, as well as that. Uh, Gavin Bazunu had returned to the side after it had been Queeveen Kelleher for the four games in June. So do you think that lack of, I suppose, familiarity in the back line well, it didn't do the manager any favours? Obviously, it could have some effect. But then I would argue that defence shouldn't be conceding as many goals as it does. Whatever variation of, say, Egan Duffy... Collins, O'Shea, Lenehan, whatever variation starts, I don't think they should be conceding half the goals they're conceding, but I would argue that it's down to the midfield not clicking as much rather than the defence not clicking as much. Because at the moment, if you were to put down the Irish midfield on paper, there is only one name you would put down 100%. Everyone else is a question mark. We all know that's Cullen, but everyone else is a question mark. So really, you have to get the engine room right before everything else works right as well. And we've seen that lead to problems in attack where we just haven't been able to break teams down because we haven't got a right in midfield. And he's obviously tried to remedy that the last game. We saw McGrath come back in and whatever, and it it didn't work at all. But I think it, it would have a small impact. Obviously, defenders not being familiar with each other. But I think the fact that we don't have a settled midfield and a settled system in midfield, that affects the whole team. That would be a bigger problem, I would imagine. Yeah, certainly would agree on the engine room side of things with Cullen there. He's trying to find that balance, isn't he, in terms of getting that real go-forward attacking player to really complement Cullen in the centre of the park. Has he found it? I mean, we haven't really mentioned Jason Knight here, really in these games either, you know, but, I mean, for me, he's the kind of the ideal complement to Josh Cullen in the middle of the park, but it's that pressing, particularly even from your front players to your midfield. Like, look at the amount of chances we're actually giving opponents here. You know, pot shots from outside the area, and there's no real genuine pressure at times on the opposition player. So, I mean, it's come back to haunt us a few times, but, I mean, it really comes down to coaching and training and reinforcing ethos, the teamwork ethic, in terms of you know, pressing without the ball. And maybe at times we're being a bit guilty in terms of really switching off at really key moments. And in international football, you will get punished, regardless of the opposition here. So, yeah, I think they're fair points, Phil. But, yeah, going back, I think Bazuna has been number one here for the last 18 months anyway. So I think from that relationship perspective, that would be tight enough. But still, Joe, I would accept your point. There might be initial early game minute cohesion issues, but I mean, the the manner in these goals that went in against Scotland, there's absolutely no excuse here in terms of straight after half time. So, I mean, it's been a kind of a trend here in the Stephen Kenny era, you know, really the initiative being arrested from us in fairly frighteningly quick fashion. We'll see for the games the rest of the year, but again, it was kind of a, a trend that would continue. I feel we should mention as well that if Troy Parrott has scored that chance when he was clean through, then it's a very different game. I think the questions about the performance and the tactics would remain, but look, you can never know what could have been. You can only know what is. And football football matches can be decided by the width of a post. And as I say, look, if Tripart had scored that, that that chance, then it was a different game completely. So we went into the final game in the Nations League campaign at home against Armenia, wanting to put the result in Yerevan behind us, get a measure of revenge against the weakest team in the group, the team that was expected to be relegated back down to League C. And we opened really strongly. A goal from John Egan, who's becoming one of our main source of goals, uh, under Stephen Kenny, a second long-range strike from Michael Obafemi, who only seems to score long-range strikes uh, at the moment. And it's you know there's 20 minutes to go in the game. We're tuning up at home, and we're cruising, and then we just collapse to the point where we can see two goals in two minutes in the 71st minute to Dashian and 73 minutes to Spurzian. You know Armenia hadn't scored since beating us in Yerevan back in June and suddenly we're on the ropes at home and possibly staring relegation in the face. It took a, a late penalty from Robbie Brady to save our blushes and you know it was possibly the first time under Stephen Kenny where the crowd was definitely not a hundred percent behind him and he oh, no. 
and he didn't seem to have the same support that he had before. I was I, there. There was booze. I, yeah. I, yeah, I was there. There was booze. There was plenty of booze. I think everything that we've complained about under Stephen Kenny's reign was in a microcosm for that last 20 minutes. Conor Horton is going to have nightmares for the rest of his life about that pass that led to Ar- Armenia's goal. That was his first completed pass all night. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, you know, bringing on a player like Conor Hur in with his reputation, you think that, okay, we're just going to keep the ball for the rest for the next 20 minutes. We're going to see this out. If it's 2-0, well and good. If it's 2-1, all right, look, we've gotten the, the win back. And then at 2-all, like, there was one team in it. And it was the away team. They start playing, like, 1970 Brazil, you know, it, Spain in, in 2010. And it, we had no answer for them. Playing. It just felt like the substitutions that he made, it was, I don't know if it was the wrong substitution for the right reason or the right substitution for the wrong reason, but they didn't work out. And like the, the one they lost in Yerevan, it was a result that that manager shouldn't be getting that far into his reign. I would never say we have a God-given right to beat any team. But having said that, we shouldn't need a 90-minute penalty to beat what we assumed would be the weakest team in our group at home when we're leading 2-0 with 20 minutes to go. That was like the worst 20 minutes of football I've ever seen. It's up there. like It's it's definitely up there. I was at this game. like We we couldn't believe it. Like We could not believe what we were seeing. I was just looking back through the starting lineup, so I was on the FAI website. So there's a piece here. It's Lovely FAI propaganda. Hang on, i just read it for you now. Uh, Scott Hogan almost added a fourth goal and added on time with Callum Robinson's defence split and pass finding Hogan, but his effort just went wide. I can't remember that because I can remember Armenia being down to nine players and having a five-on-three against us. Yeah, exactly. And nearly scoring. With nine men, it was an absolute disgrace. Like, it was beyond a disgrace. And as you said, Joe, everything that we questioned about it just came up and was highlighted a million times by this last 20, 25 minutes. It was absolutely, it was like watching, you know, like when you see like a puncher get, a boxer get hit and he's just like, he's looking for the ropes to fall onto, the legs are gone. That's what it was like for us for the last 20 minutes. That right. penalty saved, saved Stephen Kenny's job. But I just said, I do remember that chance for... Hogan, but the only reason I remember it is because it was right in front of me. Yeah, I can't remember that. I can remember, I can remember whatever it was. It was four on two or a five on three. It was, it was something crazy. And did nine players. It was beyond amateur hour. That's what it was. It was beyond it. It was disgraceful. But our midfield shape had completely gone. It went after twenty, about twenty minutes ago. Even sixty-five minutes. There was a few, like I mean, Malumbi as well. Very lucky not to, not to be sent off as well, guys. Remember that. Yeah. You know, straight after half time, I mean yeah. any other player that's that's the yellow card, you know, tugging back an Armenian jersey. But our discipline completely went. The question I'd probably ask here is more of the players than the management here. When Dashian gets the goal in seventy first minute, who in the team is basically picking guys up, scruffing the neck saying, Come on, let's protect the sleep for five, ten minutes? There didn't seem to be much in terms of communication, encouragement to get back in the game. Players just seem to go through the motions a little bit, which is a bit of an alarming observation, really. You know, we can kind of talk about backroom staff and preparation and stuff, but when you're on the pitch as a player and you can affect the change, it's moments like that where you need leaders to step up. And I still feel that we may have an identity crisis in terms of who's our real leaders there. Not saying if Shane Duffy was around, would that be negated, but you'd be damn sure that he would be barking orders out of various guys to get on the ball or get a little bit tighter we just saw none of that and the fact that Armenia went five on three when there were nine players did that give you everything that you need to know in terms of Armenia they still felt that they could get something out of the game even down to nine players I mean it was an embarrassing result and I wonder how Stephen Kenny tried to deflect that performance in the review with the FBI there a few weeks ago and maybe that goes back into the whole thing about what you were saying about maybe not being so quick tactically off the bench like you mentioned leaders Coleman, Duffy and McLean all stayed in the bench. Yeah. You know, n- none of the three of them were brought on. He brought on Horan. Like, I'm sorry. Joe mentioned his reputation, whatever, earlier. I've no sympathy for anyone who is relying on Conor Horan to, to see out a game or save a game. He is, he hasn't been at it in about two seasons. 
he's playing League One for a reason. He is not a good player. He is not to be relied on. I would have no sympathy there for, for the manager. But we had our four subs, so we had Horan 50, Hogan 85, Robinson 75, Brown 75. You know, you have Coleman, Duffy and McLean on the bench there. There's a lot of wiggle room there with your last sub to do something. And, and nothing was done. He's very lucky that they did not score an equaliser as well. Very lucky. And even when it went 2-2, Phil and Joe, I mean, I mean, you did have chances. Imagine if the third goal went in here. Then the reaction of the Viva crowd would have been something else. And they so, were furious about the penalty as well. Obviously, they had the two men sent off for going Lula, but like, yeah, they felt like really aggrieved that they weren't taking something from us at home. And I think that's a historical context as well. In Armenia, feel they were robbed by Ireland there a few years ago. Yeah, well, that was the qualification campaign as well, so they maybe felt that history was repeating itself a little bit. Yeah. I think this is something we highlighted as well when we actually did the pod after the game. But I remember we looked back through the results of this Nations League group. So you had, just quickly, Ukraine bet Armenia 5-0 away. Ukraine were away. Armenia at home, 5-0. Scotland bet them 4-1 away. Ukraine bet them 3-0 at home. Scotland bet them comfortably 2-0 away. Stark contrast to our struggles with them for both games. Concede three, score three. It's a huge difference there. Look, there's always been questions about Stephen Kenny throughout his reign, probably right from the very beginning. I think his his inexperience, his reputation in the League of Ireland and for the type of football that he had his teams playing both in the League of Ireland at an under-21 level gave him a bit of leeway. And that Armenia game, I think... It was a bit of a watershed moment because people started to go from he's not making a lot of substitutions to change a game, but he's inexperienced at this level. So he's not making a lot of substitutions to change a game, even with the experience that he has. And we're still seeing, you know, a lack of identity in the team, a lack of leadership. Why is this not being dealt with in his time in charge? And I think... You know, when you combine that with their performances in the final two games of the year, friendly at home to Norway and a friendly away to Malta, I think Stephen Kenny is in a, a pretty precarious position at the moment. I think he's starting to lose the hardcore support that he's always had, both from his League of Ireland fans and fans of the, the underage setup. They've always supported him. The boys in green fans that stand behind the goal on the south stand have always supported him and that started to ebb away and I really noticed it uh, after the final whistle went against Norway in the, the final home game of the year the the game itself was kind of in the grand tradition of November international friendlies it was a game that neither set of players wanted wanted to play in because the World Cup was looming large in the horizon and that's where everyone wanted to be it felt almost like an obligation to play it out. It wasn't a warm-up for the tournament for either team. Norway, unsurprisingly, took the lead. Odegaard was running the show in midfield for the Norwegians, almost by himself. Laid on the assist for Ostegaard to open the scoring. Alan Brown equalised in the 69th minute, and the game itself was heading for a one-all draw that would never live long in the memory before Amari Huanfo uh, scored a, a late winner for the Norwegians. Like I said after the Armenia game, that I thought I heard boos. I definitely heard boos at the end of this game. When we did our review of the double header a month ago, I said I felt that, that the squad that was selected for these games was a missed opportunity. I felt that if if we had lost both games, but there had been a sea change in the, the squad that was selected, that younger players were being given their chance to impress I know Evan Ferguson made his debut against Norway, but he came on with two minutes to go in a game where we were losing, where our strikers weren't a problem. The problem was in midfield. Mark Sykes made his debut against Malta, where I remember almost nothing else about that game other than the goal. But if it had been a squad, but say the likes of Conor Ronan or Joe Hodge, or even if Will Smallbone has made his debut, I think people would have forgiven him because you could see that he was trying to make a change. But the teams that were selected to face Norway and to face Malta, it just felt like more of the same. And then he came out and said that there wouldn't be much of a chance for experimentation ahead of the 
Euro 2024 qualifiers against France in March. Well, this was your opportunity. These were the games where you could take a look at some players that are on the periphery of the squad, and it was a missed opportunity. I don't agree with that at all, because he doesn't know his first 11. I think if you know your first 11 or your first 13, and you know your system, well, then by all means, use friendlies to to try new players. But I remember saying to you, as they were scheduled, he won't be making any changes. I said, you will not see Will Smallbone. You won't see five minutes of, of Evan Ferguson. I said, it will be nearly the same team that started the last few games because he's nearly 30 games in. He doesn't know his best team. He doesn't know his best system in midfield. So he has very limited scope to actually go experimenting because if he's basically, if you go experimenting at that stage, you're just trying to find the golden ticket out of nowhere. And he didn't have the time. He wasn't able to. And he's he's left in that position now for, for the game against France. So much so that he's actually, they've scheduled another friendly. I don't think the room or the scope was there for him to go bringing in four or five players. Obviously, I would have liked to have seen Smallbone because we needed a new midfielder. And I think I remember all the talk about when the squad was announced. Smallbone's in the squad. Duffy's not in it. Horn's not in it. Collins is not in it. All this was going on. Actually, the real reason none of them were in it was because the clubs wouldn't release them. Yeah. It wasn't because he had dropped them. So there was no credit there. He would have taken these guys back, which I think is speaks volumes of where he is as a manager. So I just, I just don't think the room was there to try as many players as you were saying. Two or three, yes, but that's about it. He did kind of set himself up, though, didn't he? In the, that Norway game, he hyped it up as the dress rehearsal for the French game on the 27th of March. And to be perfectly fair, Erling Haaland not being around, and I think the head coach in Norway, like he used the opportunity. You know, when you're talking about friendlies, I remember Jack Charlton, God rest his soul. He would have probably known his first fifth, uh, first eleven, knowing his playing style. You probably hit nail on the head here, Phil. But he would have given other guys a bit of a run just to see what they'd be about, and maybe integrate one or two of them into the subsequent qualification campaign. We have never seen that with Stephen Kenny, unfortunately. It feels as if these. These games were literally there to solidify his position, which after how many campaigns now? You know, if you take the Nations League, the World Cup qualification campaign, manager should be kind of in full flow at this stage. The fact that he's still looking over his shoulder to a certain extent that there's minimal changes here is really telling you everything you need to know. Probably in the relationship between the FAI board and probably Stephen Kenny and the backroom staff here, uh, because it's, it's probably at a low ebb. And I think the selection against Norway really did paint a picture on that he missed a trick not starting Smallbone and Ferguson in that game because when the squad came out initially the initial reaction was oh my god isn't he brilliant isn't he brilliant now for bringing these lads in look at he's dropped Duffy he hasn't played a minute for Fulham he's dropped him of course he's dropped him because he's our manager and he's the, this is the standard he sets and Horan after his performance against Armenia he's gone look banished gone he's dead right and next thing a few hours later it all comes out that Derby don't release players. Duffy was off for personal reasons. And he looks like a dud coach again. And he, he missed a trick by not playing Smallbone or Ferguson. And I think that the reaction to Ferguson coming on with two minutes to go wasn't great either. Because that was clearly just him trying to change the narrative around the result. And it was something he could point to in the press conference afterwards. Or that would be filed under the report. Ireland lose 2-1 to Norway. But you know, great gear. Evan Ferguson came on. And he made his his senior debut, puts a bit of gloss on it. But at this stage now, this was definitely a manager fighting the dying of the light. Like The yeah. writing is, is well on the wall at this stage. I think I told you five games around that stage, and they, they went and scheduled another one because they heard me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, even the goal but, we scored against Malta was a, was a gift, and we didn't look like creating anything before or after it. Callum Robinson received a, a pass from... One of the Maltese defenders said thank you very much and decided calmly pass the goalkeeper. My thoughts after the game was how we regressed back to the early part of Stephen Kenny's reign where we're struggling to create. Uh, I know we score, it's, it's kind of hard. We scored two goals in two games, but we never looked like scoring in either game. And, you know, we, we had to rely on a, the opposition making a mistake to create a chance. I said, I think, two or three times during the year that 
there hasn't really been a time in Stephen Kenny's time in charge where you could safely say that he would still be in charge in 12 months. And I don't think he'll be in charge in 12 months. I think he'll see the end of the Euro 2024 campaign, but I don't think he'll be in charge of the national team in, in 12 months' time. The only thing Joe I would say to that is, heaven forbid we went zero for three in the first three qualification group games. Or we didn't get a result against Gibraltar at home after losing to France and losing to Greece. Can you really see Stephen Kenny really staying on? I think his position, especially against Gibraltar, like France at home in March, there, you know, there's a pretty strong argument for them being the second best team in the world right now. Greece away, maybe we'll need to see how they fare. Like what we have to remember, like, <laughs> Greece have Gibraltar away in their first game on the 24th of March, three days before we play France. It's going to be hard to judge how good a team they are at that stage, but they were a team that we did want to avoid from the four seeds. And if we don't get at least a draw in, presumably in Athens, then it's going to put a lot of pressure on him for that home game against Gibraltar. And apart from the first time we played Gibraltar, like we haven't blown him out of the water. No. Um, and... We're going to have to. They're not going to come to Aviva Stadium wide open, granting us goals. They're going to sit back. They're going to pack the defence. We're going to have to create chances ourselves. And I don't know if we can do that under the, the current manager. The evidence of what we've seen so far, apart from one game against Scotland, the team under the current manager just doesn't do that. Yeah, I think the question now is, we talked about playing to our strengths, the team's strengths, maybe not utilising what we have enough. Looking at our defence, it's definitely the strongest part of the squad. And we're now at the stage where you have to look and you have to say, can someone else get more out of these players, either the same way as Stephen Kenny is trying or a different way? And I think that that question is very much on the table. If you had to put any sort of wager on it, you'd imagine that we would. Like, it all depends on the, the manner of of how we play against France as well. Like, it's very easy to chalk it down as a defeat straight away. It probably will be. Like, we don't have a good home record against teams that are better than us. We just don't. So it's it's not... We're not I'm not trying to put them down by saying that, but the manner of the defeat will, will count for something as well. We have to have a go. We have to look like we're competing. I've watched the World Cup with a lot of teams that we would have thought were average in it, but they're not. They're far from average. Like, really, like, if you were to go through the 32 teams in the World Cup, the only teams we, we would probably really beat would be Qatar, and we've beaten them already. Anyone would be be Qatar, so you know it's it's definitely the manner of how we play against France and Greece. I would expect us to pick up three points against Gibraltar, but at that stage, if it's three from nine, it could be too late. Do you think that uh, a win against Gibraltar will save his job at least until September to face what is a horrible double header against France and the Netherlands? Like really, let's be honest. It all comes down to who's available. Yeah. If they are thinking about getting rid of him at that stage, it all comes down to who's available. Because if we get trounced by France away and say we haven't a lot of points going into that game, it's a good chance for the senior team to reset with the big game. And like the FAI's big priority these days is bums on seats. So a new appointment, Republic of Ireland versus the Netherlands. And the manager coming in then is he gets a free hit against two or three teams that he could take something from it really it's it's hard to know it's it's there's so many different factors in play you you just won't really know until the first couple of the games of the campaign are over yeah it, it could and, go anyway yeah but i absolutely don't expect him to be in charge after this campaign 100% oh no i don't either i think like i said i think he'll get to the end of the campaign and then he'll get to be mutually consented sometime around the end of november and and look, we've talked about it. We talked. We've had kind of the same conversation on the last podcast, or similar enough, going over the last two games. But like, no one can say he hasn't got a fair crack of the whip. He's had carte blanche. He's had absolutely free reign to do whatever he wants, bring in whoever he wants, and he could be thirty-five games in at this stage, thirty-six, thirty-seven games in, and bar bringing in the few players he's brought in, we wouldn't be any further along. We'd be, we'd be where we started with them, really. So. I don't think anyone can have any complaints that it wasn't given a go. And then there's the other side of it as well, where just because they they might decide to get rid of him, doesn't mean they can't get a manager in with a similar 
philosophy. This is one of the arguments that the Stephen Kenny in and the Stephen Kenny out. But to get rid of Stephen Kenny because he hasn't done well as Ireland manager doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get some absolute long ball merchant in. We can go and get someone progressive again. Just looking at the like the managerial history of the national side, Stephen Kenny's on 30 games. Brian Kerr reached 33 before uh, his contract wasn't renewed. And I think Kenny will probably will reach that next year. You know, he's a far worse record than Carr, and there was no grinding of teeth. There was no cause for him to be kept on. And while all of this has been on for the men's team, like the women's team have qualified for the World Cup, you know, playing perhaps a slightly defensive uh, brand of football, but an effective brand of football. You know, Phil, yeah. like you said, they're making the very best of the talent they have available to them. Do you think yep. that that's putting pressure on Stephen Kenny? Absolutely. It was put to Vera Powell on the pitch after they qualified. I can't remember who it was, but the interviewer said, you know, the style of football you play isn't that easy on the eye sometimes, but it's effective. And she said she makes no apologies for playing the way she plays because she has to do her job to the best of her ability and whatever way of doing it, that's the way she'll do it. Or whatever, whatever system she can get the best out of the players with, that's it. And she made no apologies for it, and they've qualified for a tournament. Now, I'm not saying we don't have any bean poles up front. We don't have any big, massive strikers. So, like, it wouldn't make sense for us to go back to knocking the ball long. But as we saw with the Scotland game, you have to be able to mix it up. There's more than two ways to skin a cat. It's not tiki-taka or hoof the ball, you know, into the channels. There's different ways to play football. So... That all has to be looked at, and playing to our strengths has to be one of them. You have a player like Cullen, you build a team around him. You have a defence with the potential of Collins, Egan and O'Shea, with the young goalkeepers behind them. Then you play to their strengths as well. If you have a lot of pace up front, you try and utilise that, and then you fill in around it. You know, where are we not particularly blessed? On the wings, maybe creatively in the middle. So that has to be something that's looked at. But if we're not blessed creatively in the middle, which we aren't, well, then trying to knock the ball around with 100, 200, 300 passes, it's not going to get us anywhere. And we've seen it. It hasn't. Like, let's look at all our goals that we've scored that we've talked about over this pod. We scored 30-yard wonder goals. That's not a direct result of, of 15 passes. That's just the ball has fallen outside the box for most cases, and it's been hit. Uh, Collins goes on a mazy run because he decides to burst up from the, the, the back line or he's still up there. These goals haven't been a direct result of eight passes sideways and one precision pass in that splits the defence. We haven't done that yet. It's, we can't say, oh, we can't change because we're scoring these goals. It's, it's the opposite to that. In fact, I'd say our goals, we don't actually have a pattern from where we score goals. You could look at Serbia. We mentioned Mitrovic earlier. They would score a certain type of goal all the time because they know how to play to their strengths, whereas we don't. Where where most of our goals come from set pieces. So why not utilise that? But it doesn't mean you have to kick the ball along all the time either. It's not as black and white as it was 20 years ago. So I would to, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of people who just want to see the Ireland team do well and qualify for tournaments, whatever way they do it. It's nice to play nice football, but if we go 50 games, you know, 60 games, 70 games, 80 games, without really seeing anything exciting, it gets demoralising. You know, as a fan as well, we'll always go to the games, we'll always support the team, but if there's different answers out there and we can see them, you want them to be taken advantage of. I don't think we're going to go quite that long, but you know, there, we did have a stretch at the beginning of Kenny's reign where we didn't win. And it took a friendly against Andorra to break that particular duck. Well, I, I kind of meant like challenging to qualify for tournaments. Like, so we're thir- we've had 30 games under Kenny. We nearly got to a tournament under Mick, I suppose. Kenny took the first game, but we could well be up to 70, 80 games before we see an Ireland team knocking the door of a tournament again from when Kenny's taken over. It's very possible. I think it's just a matter of it, isn't it, guys? The qualification campaigns under Stephen Kenny. We've been out of it pretty much after two rounds of games, really. Yeah. You know, realistically. So I think from that perspective, yeah. really, personally, I don't mind if we're kind of in the melting pot. You know, that 
it goes down to the wire two games out. But the fact is that we've not given ourselves a chance, an opportunity even to stake a claim here and maybe put opposition under a bit of pressure. I think that's been the most important, most importantly disappointing aspect to this to this era. You know, you can talk all you want in terms of the guys he's brought in, particularly from the underage, which has been great. But it's a results business at the end of the day, and I think you know this 2023 UEFA Champions qualification campaign. You know, it is one where it looks realistically the draw has come from Champ Nations League, has come from World Cup qualification campaigns where. Hasn't gone according to plan, and I mean, it's kind of setting the tone here, isn't it? But uh, I think from, let's say, a Republic of Ireland perspective, look, they have to come out swinging on 27th of March. If they don't, then, guys, all bets are off then, in terms of Stephen Kenny and backroom staff, realistically. You know, the the, the cast will have died pretty much at that stage. And I think the FAI, I'd say, are unwilling to basically park company, firing Kenny, I would say. Just given the financial predicament, there's no corporate sponsor for the men's team either here. So I think from that perspective, they'll try to drag this out as much as they can, but maybe in the background, maybe looking at someone else uh, to come in post-November 2023. Horrible, as it is to say, about someone's job here. It's not a nice way to end our uh, end of year review, but it's, it hasn't been a great year for the men's team. So maybe that's a, a reflection of that. I'm not sure if anyone would really have enjoyed looking back over the last 12 months of the men's national team. It was uh, was painful uh, in a lot of parts, but I would like to thank Mark and Phil for uh, for joining me in the review. In the second episode of our 2022 year, a year in review, we're going to try and distill down the points that we've discussed over the football that's taken place in the last 12 months into something that's a little more general and something we can go into in a little bit more depth we hope you join us for that real soon on behalf of mark and phil i'd like to thank you all for listening to uh the podcasts over the last 12 months it's something we've enjoyed doing and hope to continue doing into 2023 you can follow mark at hawkeye psychic on twitter you can follow phil at philip Flanagan, and you can follow me at iris underscore abroad Whatever about Stephen Kenny being in charge in the next 12 months, I, I kind of hope Twitter is still with us in 12 months' time. We'll see how things go under Elon Musk. We'll talk to you soon. I want to wish everyone a, a happy and a safe Christmas. Take care.